So uh, I got, before I start the clock on my lesson, I've got a little pre-something to say. I am wearing slacks. Now, if you're just visiting this morning, you're like, well, isn't that what preachers do? Not this preacher. Um, so I usually wear jeans. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we uh, brought in our, our, our young new uh, minister uh, who's going to be leading the pros, Josh. He shows up in jeans and he apologizes <laughs> to the congregation because he couldn't find his khakis because he misplaced uh, them during the move. And uh, in the middle of him making that comment, Max Plager texted me, yes, in church. Yeah, Max is texting in church. Talk to your brother about that. Because we don't text in church. Amen, church? So Max texts me, uh, oh, bro, that's got to hurt. So today I'm wearing my slacks. Do not expect them next weekend. But I thought I would give you guys a little, uh, I don't know, just a little kiss this morning. Turn over in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Before we get started here in our text, woo! Jerry said it when he was reading the scriptures, didn't he? The Lord thunders. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we hear you this morning. And Father, we know that you are out there. We know, God, that you are uh, doing your thing. Uh, help us, God, this morning to really uh, connect our hearts with you and to the word and to the spirit. Father, help us connect our hearts to one another. God, we're very grateful for the church. We're very grateful that you have given us one another. God, that we can come together whether it's sunny or stormy, God, to be able to honor you, worship you together. Thank you that we get to be here. Please be with the lesson this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, let's begin reading Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Therefore, my Dear friends, you know, Paul is speaking to the Philippian Christians not as those who are under him. He's not speaking to his brothers and sisters as though they are beneath him in some way, that, that he is some, you know, grandioso church leader that, you know, is over them in a, uh, you know, in a, strong, powerful way. No, he is talking to them as equals, as friends, as a loved one, as someone who cares deeply for them. You know, this is how it should be. And I tell you, this is how it is. You know, when I get the opportunity to stand up here and speak to all of you, it is not because I am over you in the Lord in some, God, you need to listen to me kind of way. When I get up here and speak, or Randy, or, or Josh, or Max, or Dom, or, or anybody that gets up to speak God's word, it is as a loved one, as a friend. You are my friends, my beloved. That word there when he says, therefore, my dear friends, in the Greek is agapatos, which is beloved. Therefore, my beloved. He says, we are bound together by a mutual love. And this is not a love that originates from us this is a love that originates from Jesus and our knowing Jesus and our being saved by Jesus. You know, the Philippians cared deeply for Paul, and we know this because we'll read uh, a little later, but, you know, the, the church in Philippi had sent Paul while he was in prison in Rome, uh, Epaphroditus, one of the brothers, to take some money, some funds to Paul to help with his ministry and to help with his needs. And so we know that the Philippians loved Paul dearly and they were looking out for him and they were considering his needs. They cared deeply for him. There was a mutual love between Paul and the church in Philippi that enabled Paul to easily address things to his brothers and sisters as their beloved. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, also considered those whom he was teaching and instructing to be his dear friends. When Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them as those whom he loved and he cared for. What he was going to instill in their hearts and teach them, it, it wasn't 
It wasn't so that, you know, they were going to be harmed in some way. Everything that he was going to teach them and instruct them in was to help them grow and help them to become the men and women that they needed to be. In John chapter 15, verse 9, it says, as the Father, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, beloved. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is, this is my command, love one another. Jesus is tying together this, this cyclical connection of friendship and relationship through love and obedience. And this relationship through love and obedience would enable his disciples to have the greatest impact possible in the world, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Love, which leads to our obedience, and our obedience that leads us to love. I obey Jesus because I love him. I obey because I love Jesus. I love Jesus because I obey. And it's just this cycle. But it all starts with the relationship. The relationship in Philippians that Paul had with his brothers and sisters in the church there. And the relationship that we have with Jesus Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 again. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, I had a grand idea and plan to actually preach 12 through 18 today. But as I start digging into this, there was so much awesomeness in just these two verses alone. I was like, yep, gotta, gotta stay here. So this is where we're gonna camp out a little bit, amen? You know, he says, as you have always obeyed in my presence, continue to do so in my absence. Paul says, hey, you obey. You have been obedient in my absence or in my presence now i'm asking you to continue to be obedient in my absence obey obey we don't like that word do you guys like that word the word obey i'm not 
I'm still trying to figure out what I think about that word. Because the way, the way Paul communicates obedience and obey and the way that the Philippians take it is not really the way we take it when, when someone tells us to obey. You need to obey. Oh, that sounds harsh. It sounds mean. It sounds restrictive. It sounds authoritative. And no one has authority over me. You just need to obey, brother. Ooh. Sister, you just need to obey. <laughs> oh. Because we don't live in a society or in a culture today where we like the word obey. We just don't. But Paul is not afraid to use this kind of language with his brothers and sisters, with his beloved. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now obey much more in my absence. You know, it's easy to obey when, when somebody who has authority over you is right there watching you, right? You'll do exactly what you need to do. But then when they go away, the question is, are you willing to continue to obey? He says, hey, in my presence, you do it. But I'm telling you, even more so in my absence. Paul's not afraid of insulting his brothers and sisters by telling them to obey because they're not going to be insulted by this. He's not going to be afraid of making them feel inferior to him because they're not. And he knows that and they know that. He's not worried that by telling them to obey that they're going to be offended. And they weren't. Paul Paul's call to them to be obedient follows his call to them to imitate Jesus in humility. Who humbled himself to become obedient, to becoming obedient to death. Right, think about that. You, you're, you're being called, someone might call you to obey them. Maybe it's mom or maybe it's dad or, or maybe it's your boss or, you know, and you kind of like, oh. But imagine submitting yourself to obedience to death. I mean, that, that puts some things into perspective, doesn't it? That's right, Jesus obeyed death. Think about that the next time you struggle with obeying. Your boss, your mom, your dad, your friends. You know, if Jesus made himself nothing, if Jesus took the very nature of a servant and a servant obeys, and if Jesus was able to obey death, then we should be able to do the same. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls us to do the same. Remember what Paul said in verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Obey should not be a word that puts you and I on the defense. It shouldn't be. But it is. But I don't want to obey if I don't agree. Have you ever felt that way? I don't want to obey. I don't agree with that. Or I don't want to obey because I don't want to do it. 
And I'm sure that Jesus did not agree that going to the cross was the best thing for him. Wouldn't you agree? And I'm sure that he didn't want to be obedient to death on a cross, but he was. His obedience was not for his sake. His obedience was for the sake of his beloved. Jesus' obedience to death on a cross was for you and for me. We are called to obey. So what or who do we need to obey? Well, one, we need to obey God's word. As Christians, it should be our heart to obey God's word. In James chapter 1, you can just write this down if you're taking notes. In verse 22, it says, James 1 verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it or obeying it, they will be blessed in what they do. James tells us this. In John chapter 12, Jesus even talks about this. In verse 47 of John chapter 12, he says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, he says, I don't judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words which I have spoken will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So even Jesus himself says, hey, my word needs to be something to be obeyed. Listen to it. Obey it. So we need to obey God's word. We also need to obey the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it says this, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And then in verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. All those who obey the Spirit are children of God. So we need to consider that. We need to, we need to obey God's word. We need to obey the Spirit. And we need to obey our leaders. The collective leaders, leadership of the church. You know, that's a scary thing to say today from the pulpit. 
You need to obey me. Doesn't that, that sounds weird, doesn't it? It's like already some of you are uncomfortable with what I just said. <laughs> but in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says this. It says, have confidence in or obey your leaders. It says it in the Bible. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So it's not one of these things where, you know, Randy or Alan or myself or Josh or, you know, or, or Max or Dom or, or, or Sabrina, Stacy, uh, Emily. It doesn't, it's, it's not as though as leaders in the church, it's like, you know, you need to obey us because, you know, we want you to serve our needs or, you know, we want you to, you know, uh, help us to prosper or anything like that. Leadership in the church moves the church and guides the church and helps the church and, and calls out the church and teaches the church and uh, molds the church so that we can bear fruit, fruit that will last. And in doing so, those who are leaders in the church who watch over you, Jesus, God says, those guys must give an account. So even in our leadership, in our direction, in our guidance in the church, it is God's watching us. He is holding me accountable. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes that scares me. Because I don't always know. Now I try, I'm trying to obey the Spirit, I'm trying to obey the Word of God myself, but I, I don't always know, is this the right thing to say? Is this, the right, is this the right way to guide the flock? Even through a lot of prayer, sometimes there's just this big question mark, oh Lord, I hope, I pray. But what I understand and what I'm sobered to, and I know that Randy and Alan are sobered to, is the fact that however we guide the church, we're held accountable to it. So when the Bible calls us to obey our leaders, again, it's, it's calling us to obey God. Because God tells us, to obey our leaders. If there is something amiss with the leaders, if there is something wrong, if there is something sinful in the teaching, well, God will deal with it. If someone doesn't feel that they can get behind their leaders or they don't have confidence in them or they can't obey their direction in the church, the question they need to ask themselves is why? Why? Is it me or is it the leader? And that's where our relationships come into play, where conversations are so important. I really appreciated a few sisters uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago after I preached my last lesson um, in Philippians 2. They, they contacted me, a couple of sisters, and, and wanted to ask the meaning behind what I was saying. 
they were struggling a little bit with some of what I said. And, uh, and they contacted me, they got on a Zoom call with me, and I appreciate their bravery and their willingness, you know, to, to talk to me and to feel like they could talk to me, and they did. And, and they shared what they were concerned about, they shared what they didn't understand, and we had a great conversation. I believe by the end of it, we all felt great. Sisters, those of you who I'm talking to, if you didn't, please come back and see me. But, but that's relationship. That's talking. They came to their leader and they talked to me. That's very healthy. That's a very good thing. I remember when I was a young single brother and I was in love with a young blonde girl at the University of Georgia, at the campus ministry there, um, I was building my way to asking her to be my girlfriend. And we had gone on a lot of dates and, and, uh, and I was very excited about this. And I asked the brother who was leading the church, I said, hey, can I ask her, I, I, you know, I'm getting your advice. I said, I really, I wanna ask her to be my girlfriend. What do you think? And he was like, I think it's good. I think in a couple weeks, go for it. And so a week later, this brother calls me to his house, says, hey, can we talk? And I remember it was a rainy, stormy day, just like today. And we were sitting in his garage and we were sitting on two fold-out chairs. And he said, Jared, this is gonna be hard to hear, but I wanna share this with you. He said, listen, I think you need more time. As a matter of fact, I think you and Stacy need to pull apart a little bit from each other. I'm seeing some things and... Uh, and I really feel like you guys aren't quite ready. And I remember I was struggling. Because as I was going through my head, thinking, okay, well, am I doing anything wrong? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to honor our relationship. And, and, you know, we've kept it pure. And, you know, I, but all this stuff he's saying to me is really causing me to struggle. And so I said, I, I need to pray about it. And I don't get it. I mean, because I was right there. She was going to be my girlfriend. And so what I did that, that, that night, I got on the phone and I called Stacy's dad, John Schmidt. And, and I think he liked me at the time. And I said, John, I said, this is what happened. You know, I was going to ask your daughter to be my girlfriend. And he goes, yes. And the brother leading the church at the time, he said, he said, I needed to pull back and we needed to, we needed to just separate and, and not pursue anymore. And I remember waiting for John to go, that's ridiculous. But he didn't. What he did was, is he said, okay, Jared, let me ask you a few questions. And I said, sure, fire away. And he said, okay, um, so do you, would you consider yourself a man of faith? And I said, well, well yeah, of course. Now, of course, I'm going to tell him that because his daughter's the girl I like, right? No, I meant it. Yes, I am a man of faith. And he said, okay, well, hear me out. He said, according to your faith, what you want will be given to you. He said, you know the story of the centurion who went to Jesus and he asked Jesus, hey, my servant needs healing. Can you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yes, take me to your servant. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. All I need you to do is say the word. And I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus was astonished at this man's faith. And he said, okay, because of your great faith, and I've not seen faith like yours, she's healed. According to the centurion's faith, his servant was healed. He said, Jared, do you know the story of the bleeding woman 
And I said, yeah. And he said, so there's a crowd and there's this bleeding woman and, and, and she, she wants to be healed and Jesus is walking by and all she needs to do is touch his cloak. And if, if, if she could just touch a piece of Jesus' cloak, she would be healed. And Jesus felt this power come out of him. And he said, what? Somebody was just healed. According to her faith, all she had to do was just touch the cloak. According to the centurion's faith, all he had to do, Jesus had to do was just say the word. There was a blind man where Jesus, who came to Jesus, and Jesus took a little bit of mud, spit, put it on his eyes, and the blind man could see. According to his faith, that's all he needed. So my future father-in-law was telling me at this moment, Jared, look, maybe my daughter is the right one for you. Maybe she's not the right one for you. But here's the thing. According to your faith, it will be given to you. So what do you do about this direction that your leader has given you? I said, Punch him in the nose? (laughs) No! I didn't say that. I said, obey him? He said, I think you'll do well to do that. And so I did. And so I went back to Stacy and uh, I I went to her and we had a talk and I told her we need to pull back with no anticipation of ever dating or ever being together. We have things to work on. And, And I remember she was crying and I was so upset, um, but, but this, this was faith. Um, so for three months, didn't talk to Stacy, didn't spend time with her, and then after three months, Dave, come, uh, the brother comes up to me and he says, Jared, you need to take Stacy out on a date. I was like, oh, really? Do <laughs> you wanna go on a date? And she said, not on your life. No, she said yes. So we went on a date, and, uh, and, then the, and then two weeks later, went on another date with her, and then a month after that, we started dating. She became my girlfriend. 11 months after that, we were engaged. Three months after we were engaged, we were married, and now, woohoo! God always has a plan. And I believe that God always blesses the faithful. The brother who was leading the church, he was my leader. And and I may not have agreed with what he was telling me or asking me to do, but I trusted, I learned to trust what God was doing. And in my obedience, God blessed me. Now, there's been other times where I haven't obeyed and God has not blessed me. I don't have time to get into that one or not that one, those, rather. You know, when God calls us to, to obey, whether through his word or through the spirit or through leadership uh, that was placed in our lives, it is so that we can be our most effective for him. And I believe that in doing what Dave encouraged me and gave me advice to do, and what John told me that I needed to do, that God blessed me, but not only blessed me, blessed others through that decision. When God calls us to obey, it's so that we can bear much fruit, fulfilling God's good purpose. Not our purpose, but his purpose. 
This is why I believe that Jesus was obedient to death. And the Philippians adopted this same attitude that was in Jesus. Philippians 2 goes on to say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, so let's talk about salvation for a moment. Salvation was very clear to the Philippians. They knew what they had and it was evidenced by their lives. This salvation, this having been saved by Jesus. And Paul had even acknowledged it. In Philippians chapter 1, 6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All of you share in God's grace with me. You know, salvation had come to the brothers and sisters of Philippi, and it was evidenced by their lives. It was God who began the work of salvation, and it was God who was going to carry it on to completion. Salvation didn't come about because of the personal righteousness of each brother and sister in the church in Philippi. Salvation came because this was a work that God started in their lives and ultimately finished in their lives. Salvation isn't everything about our walk with God, but it is quite significant. It is, right? No one wants to be condemned. I can't imagine anybody in this room would stand up and say, I do, I want to be condemned. And if you do, we need to talk after church. <laughs> Nobody wants to be condemned. We all want to share in God's grace. And so we believe and we repent and we're baptized into Christ. And our sins are forgiven and by the grace of God, we are given salvation. We're saved. So for a Christian, salvation isn't something that you should really worry about. But we do. We worry about it. For a Christian, there should be no doubt. There is full assurance of God's grace in our salvation. And yet not every Christian is confident of the grace or of his or her salvation. Not confident in it. Now for some who have aligned themselves in the Christian faith, you know, to, to not, to, to, to doubt or, or to doubt your salvation, that's a tragedy. Because your heart and your life do exemplify that of a saved son or daughter of God. Not perfect. Not without sin. You should not doubt. Now there are others 
who have aligned themselves in the Christian faith where it's legitimately difficult to see what it is about them that says, yes, that is someone who follows Jesus. It's evidenced that they don't follow Jesus. And yet they have aligned themselves in the Christian faith. Because in their lives, there is a lack of or a resistance to obedience to the word, to the spirit, to leadership. By their fruit or by their lives, the Bible says you will recognize them. What is your life? What, what evidence is there in your life that salvation has come to you? So it would be understandable that some people doubt their salvation because salvation is not recognizable in a lot of people's lives, but not for those who have surrendered their life to Christ because of salvation. So if this morning, if you have been saved, you need to be confident in that. Paul says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I used to think that well, what that was saying was work to keep yourself saved. Work out your salvation. Work hard so you can stay saved. That's actually not what it's saying. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, it was God who began the work in us, the work of salvation. And it's God who works in us to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Salvation has been given to us. It is ours. And so the work we do in our having been saved and the work that God is doing in us to fulfill his good purpose, it's a partnership. God saves us, and now we live out that salvation. We live it out. Evidenced in our lives. And so, the work we do in our having been saved, and the work that God is doing, brings us together. To work, our, to work out our salvation is to, in the Greek, katergatsomai, which means to finish what was started. So Jesus, or God, began this good work of salvation in you, and now God, or Jesus, is calling us to finish that work. You've been given salvation, so live it out in your lives. Live it out. Once salvation has begun in us, it is now our responsibility to see that salvation through to the end. And so what's so amazing about that is that God begins the work in us. We take on that work ourselves and then God continues to work in us as we do that. It is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, the words work in you in the Greek is energeo, to put forth power or energy to be operative. So God is putting forth power and energy in us, in our salvation, operating within us to get us to the end, to get past the finish line. 
which is something we saw happen this last week with our dear brother, Michael Robinson, who ran the race and he finished the race. He let salvation work through his life and he let God take him to the end. That's what it's supposed to be for all of us. It is God who puts forth power or energy in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God starts to, the process of salvation and he sees the process through, but we have our part to do in living out the working out of our salvation. All right, our salvation is more rich than, than just being saved. Our salvation is a lifestyle, a continual process. This is what it is meant when he says, work out your salvation. So let's talk about working out. Who in here likes to work out? That's less than half the group. That's not a shock, by the way. I'm pretty regular in working out, but I don't like it. But we're gonna talk about it a little bit. Working out is not just a one-time thing. If you wanna get in shape, uh, it is an ongoing thing, amen? And you can't go all in for just one year and working out at the gym and then quit and then expect your body to remain. It doesn't work that way. It's a lifestyle, salvation is a lifestyle. Uh, so during the pandemic, all the gyms closed, right? When the pandemic started, what happened? Many people quit working out. They stopped, they stopped working out. For me and Stacy, when the gym closed, we grabbed our kids and we went to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And, uh, and while we were there, we, uh, we got, this is a whole bag of little rubber bands. We got these things and you know, we were, we were at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and I was out there and I had my workout clothes. And I was like, one, two, three, four. I looked ridiculous. You know, one, two, three. But hey, I continued to work out. It was important. I needed to work out because I was afraid that if I stopped working out, uh, well, I don't even want to explain what I imagined happening to me. This guy figured out a way to continue to work out during the pandemic. I wasn't gonna lift up tires. This girl was gonna continue to train for rowing a boat, I guess. She figured out a way. This guy figured out a way. I did not do that with Tatum, there is no way. This guy's a mountain climber and he figured out a way to continue to train, continue to work out. He just crawled all around his table. So this is the very truth about working out. I hate doing legs. And most guys who go to the gym all the time hate doing legs. Uh, but you know, the truth is never skip a leg day, never. So there are different parts of our lives that maybe we don't like working out, but we need to continue to work those things out. Every day is bicep day, that is a true statement. And then it looks like someone skipped leg day, the Incredible Hulk over there. So working out needs to be a lifestyle. 
You know, like gyms, churches closed. What happened? Many people quit working out their salvation with fear and trembling. It was no longer a lifestyle. You know, I am so proud of this church. I remember moving here eight years ago going, God, what am I doing? What have you done? Where have you brought me? And there is no body of believers that I would rather be with than you. I am so proud of this church. I feel so blessed to have the partnership that I have with Randy and Alan, the partnership that I have had with Kyle for so many years, the partnership I now have with our, our interns and the partnership I have with JP and, and now with Josh. I mean, it's, it's awesome. This past year has not been an easy year, but we have continued, we have continued to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and I know this because it's evidenced by your lives. We learned how to Zoom. That's crazy for some of you. You have learned how to jump on a Zoom call. We figured out creative ways to stay close to God and to one another. We figured it out. When we were faced with this country's race dilemma, we worked it out and through, we worked it out and, and worked it out with each other. We had conversations. We're not done. We're still working on it, but, but we've been working it out. Community groups met together. Uh, coming back has been so encouraging to see all of your beautiful faces returning to church. We have hired the Lunds to lead our prose ministry. Adam Henry will be here in June to lead our worship ministry. People have stepped up to keep this church moving forward. Dom and JP stepped up to usher, you know, and to keep our ushering going in here. Max and Sabrina, Dom and M have stepped up to take on the campus ministry. Seth and Caleb and the worship team stepped up along uh, with so many others to, to bring us beautiful worship. JP stepped up to take on the prime timers. Joy Johnson, Danielle Geckler, Ryan Stewart, the teens. Sam and Jess Limbaugh, preteens. Casey Breyer and Marilyn McCall, uh, the Kingdom Kids. Alan Henry and Martin Dardis, live stream. Betsy Summers and Gar Gary Williams, the sound. Carol Rozier in the office, the diversity team that we brought together, which is awesome. And there's so many others who have come together, so many of you who have contributed, who have been consistent in giving to your community groups and to one another and to this community. I'm so grateful for this church. Working out our salvation means to finish what we have started, no matter what the obstacle is in front of us. And we have had a major obstacle this last year. And we do that no matter what. We work out our salvation. Therefore, my dear friends, I believe that the best ahead for Campus View is coming our way. I believe that because of who you are, 
because you are my friends, you are my beloved. I know that because I believe through obedience and love and through working out your salvation, one day we will celebrate our lives together as a church in heaven. Amen.